Greetings and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real life conversations of struggle and triumph. Radio Maria Australia. Our smart loving conversation today is about thoughts, emotions and needs. But first we want to introduce our guest Monica Elias. Monica has been married to Paul for seven years and they live in Albury with their three children. She is a Catholic life coach and is passionate about helping women to be who God made them to be and setting Australia ablaze. She has degrees in mathematics, theology and education. Monica is sure to always have a few good books and podcasts on the go. Welcome, Monica. Thanks so much, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you join us, Monica. Monica also, with her husband, was part of a, a recent uh, course that we ran for the Marriage Kit. So it's it's nice to be collaborating with you and uh, remotely via with your husband as well, even though he's not physically present. Yeah, yeah he's, he's holding the fort. <laughs> God bless you. We need, we need husbands to do that sometimes for us too. Well, before we get into the topic, I just wanted to ask, how was your walk with the Lord these past days? Well, I was just thinking um, before we started about this, we had uh, Miriam and Father Sam Randall from Radio Maria Australia stay with us overnight. And after we did our recording this morning, we had a little home mass. And when we got to the part where we say that prayer before we receive the Eucharist of, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you under my roof and say the word and I shall be healed. And it was just that under my roof, which is part of the New English translation, it just hit me like a ton of the roof. Like we were literally under my roof. The Lord has come in under my roof. And it just was this kind of moment of just, wow, I have to I have to process that a little bit. So that's like in the last couple of hours. That's awesome. I've never had mass in my house. That's going to be on my to-do list. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah on we the bucket list. <laughs> we haven't had mass here for ages. I've, had, I've received communion like when we've been sick and Byron's brought communion home for me from the parish mass. Uh, but it was just the struck me this time. Mm, yeah. And what about you, Monica? How has your walk with the Lord been these past few days? Well, this whole month I've been really trying to get off my phone, like break what really is an addiction. And so I set myself the challenge to journal about it every single day with the Metanoia Catholic Journal. And it sort of really turned into like more of a where is my focus going? Where is my attention going like across the board through the whole day and there's just been a lot of things about that that have been really challenging and surprising and like oh I'm like so rebellious at the idea of not being in control of what I choose to do and what I choose to think about and yeah so that's where I'm at. Those habits are so powerful and but it's so freeing when we do break them too. Mm -hmm. I might have a chat with you offline about that too I need to (laughs) disconnect from my phone. Yeah I've just recently the last couple of days really felt been comforted and boosted by the prayers of others. I had to go into hospital um, for a little operation and it's always a little bit scary when you're under anaesthetic. And yeah, so I was just felt really calm knowing that I had a whole load of people praying for me. So the power of prayer, it really is amazing. So let's get into the topic. Yes. Yeah. Thoughts, emotions and needs. 
So I guess I want to, this is a really good follow on from our last podcast, number four on communication. So I just want to springboard off that by recalling that we started that by looking at the different levels of communication. So they were firstly, the five levels, one was cliche, number two, data or facts, three, opinion or thoughts, four, emotions, five, needs and spiritual desires. And in the deeper the level is the more we reveal about ourselves so this is all just a bit of a recap and that's where the intimate communication really happens is those sort of deeper levels of particularly four and five and so we're always encouraging couples to focus at the levels of emotions and needs so we want to explore these deeper levels in a little bit more detail and in particular look at how they interact especially how thoughts interact with emotions and how emotions interact with needs because they don't really stand as kind of siloed separate levels that we just kind of flip into one or the other they do kind of cross over a little bit so we will start if if you like going backwards we're going to start at level five and work backwards so firstly just looking at needs one of the most famous psychological models was this was put forward by Abraham Maslow I think it was in the 1930s or 1940s and he talked about the hierarchy of needs and you've probably seen this if you've done any psychology at all you will have seen it it's, it's sort of usually pictured as a pyramid with survival needs which are primarily physical at the base of the pyramid and then going up to the peak at the top with um, emotional and spiritual needs that are sort of really more about human flourishing so the base level the most basic is the physiological things like air water food and sleep homeostasis then the next level up is safety needs things like shelter clothes protection from danger the third level is sort of social needs belonging love and affection Fourth level is esteem, you know, from ourselves and from others. And the fifth level is self-actualization. So a bit of a mouthful, but you really try to get at achieving the individual potential. And it's got a number of dimensions. There's cognitive, aesthetic, aesthetic uh, morality, creativity. And so there's this, you know, hierarchy of needs. And the idea is, is that if we don't have those most basic needs met, it's really hard to focus on the others and to achieve the others so I mean that sort of makes sense if you're running out of air you really only care about where do I find air you're not even going to be you don't care whether someone's giving you a hug (laughs) or enough or enough of uh, affirmation or (laughs) it's kind of secondary you know you just need to get those basics and we know that also if anybody who's worked in schools and education you know if kids are coming in and they haven't had breakfast it's really hard for them to learn so a lot of school programs now put in place breakfast for kids in situations where they're not getting um, sufficient nutrition Uh, so so you know the basic levels can't be ignored if we we, you know if we want to try to start hitting those higher level needs we we need to make sure that the um, the others are being met I do want to talk just for a minute before we just kind of open it up for discussion though is the place of desire and this is something that I'm, I guess I'm still trying to get my head around a little bit. We kind of understand that a need is sort of fundamental, uh, like it's not something we choose, whereas we think about desire more as a, like a want, and it's not considered essential to survival. But if you looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you'd kind of say, well, you know, esteem, getting esteem from self or others, that's not essential for survival, but it is essential for flourishing. Mm. And so there's this kind of area of a bit of not flexibility, but just muddiness, perhaps of you know where does where does one stop and the other start in Catholic anthropology? So that's just a big word to talk about. What is the understanding of the human person from the Catholic theology? We as human beings we're created by a loving God for love and called to eternity with God. And so the desires of the heart, the deepest longings of the spirit 
are in some ways placed there by God and they're really powerful and they drive our choices. And so God places those desires in us to ultimately lead us to him. And I'm immediately thinking of, you know, the story in the Gospels of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who's had six husbands, and she meets Christ at the well. And we know that she's a social outcast because it's the middle of the day. And she says, you know, give me this living water, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the desires. She's been trying to meet her desires in husband after husband after husband, or man after man after man. But no no human man can ever fulfill her because her desire, it's an infinite desire for an infinite God and only Christ can fill it. So in some ways, it's a holy desire. And what gets us into trouble is when we misdirect it. We, We experience this sense of desire, this longing in our hearts for an infinite love. But we try to satisfy it with finite things, whether it's um, uh, using people, whether it's things. This is the source of a lot of addictive behaviour and so on. We make idols of people and of things. Mm. And that's a real misdirection of our desire. So that's a pretty fast race through. But I just want to pause and kind of open it up and get your input and feedback to yeah. kind of get, put a bit of flesh on it for our listeners. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've been watching with my husband, Joe, War and Peace, the BBC rendition, a TV show, and everything that you just said, it, the story of Russia in the 1800s, and it's all about desires of the heart and the longing, people's deepest longing of the spirit, and what you were saying, like how powerful they are and how they drive choices. So the character I'm just thinking of when you said that, Fran, was Natasha Rostova, and she's played by Lily James in the episodes that I'm watching and she's this energetic romantic creative type and she's just looking for love she's a young woman just you know coming to herself she wants to get married that's the desire in her heart and she's just meeting these men in Russian society but no one's really sweeping her off her feet until she meets um, Prince Andre who's this handsome war hero but he's also a widower and he's a little bit older than her and he already has a child from a previous marriage his previous wife passed away in childbirth so they start seriously dating but his father doesn't approve of Natasha's family so he asks his son the prince to delay the marriage for a year to test their love and Natasha hasn't really been given the whole story she's a bit confused they were so in love and they were seriously dating and why why does she have to wait a whole year she agrees to do it but just at the end of the 12 months she has been getting a little bit of um She's not being reassured from her fiancé of his of his love and that he's going to come back. And she meets his family and gets a bit of a cold reception. And so this all is perfect, the, the perfect drama when she goes to the opera and she meets a Prince Anatole at the opera who wants to seduce her. He likes what he sees in her. And uh, she desperately wants that love and th- that need. And she, when she doesn't feel like she's getting it from her fiancé, she almost ruins herself by making the really poor decision of eloping with Prince Anatole, who she knows nothing about and who actually turns out to be a real scoundrel. So that is like a perfect example of misdirected desire and then emotions and the needs and what you're talking about, esteem and belonging, social belonging, love and affection. It all ticks it off perfectly in that war and peace through that character and through many other characters and, and subplots of the of the novel. And it's amazing how these art forms, because many of them are, whether it's a you know, good movie or a book or whatever, can, I guess, illustrate some of these ideas so brilliantly for us in a way that kind of communicates into the heart in a way that the theory sometimes has trouble penetrating yes Monica Mm -hmm. what about you have you got any insights to share 
I found this, uh, I've been really kind of pondering the relationship between these three things over the last few days and like, how does it all like fit together? Because yeah, there's that tension between like, oh, like what is exactly a need? Like, how do I know? Like, is this really a need or not? What's really interesting is that the etymology of the word need is from like the root word is like danger or death. And so that's a pretty clear one. If it's like, I it, death is imminent. <laughs> if <laughs> this need is not met, then okay, definitely a need. But then there's also like the slow interior death, which is, I think, what the not flourishing is. And so like we see that with like those the studies that they've done with babies who like had affection withheld from them and they mm. basically had failure to thrive. Those Romanian orphans that were just yeah. left in cots for years. Yeah. Some oh, of them died just, and, and if they yeah. survived, they had really severe uh, developmental disabilities mm. yeah it's yeah it's heartbreaking and what I think is also interesting is that when so it's the that highest level of communication was was expressing our our needs like places we feel like there's something lacking and it's very the reason it's so vulnerable is because our spouse in the context of marriage but it could be anybody but like that other person is free to to say no I can't do that or I'm not willing to, or they just forget. And so we're opening ourselves up to the possibility of being wounded and feel and feeling disappointed or feeling rejected. Yeah, what's really interesting is that at that point, even if you could say objectively a need hasn't been met and my spouse does have certain obligations to me because they've made that commitment, the way that we then choose to think about that and the feelings that come from that are completely within our responsibility. So if we allow that to fester into resentment and we don't take our thoughts and emotions about that to the Lord, then and and it starts to starts to play out in in not good ways. Like ultimately, then we're not loving our spouse and mm-hmm. not meeting their needs, ironically. Yeah. So yeah, I just found there was this really interesting sort of. There's a number of different things playing yeah. together. And that's a really good segue, I think, into the next the next little bit, which is looking more at emotions. And look, a basic working definition on emotions that we've used for years, and it maybe could be improved on, but it's you know it's a spontaneous interior reaction to a, some kind of trigger, whether that's a person, a place, a situation, event, or a memory. So something that happens or what we perceive uh, we perceive happening. Emotion, interestingly, has the same Latin roots as the word motivate or move. And so emotions, in a way, are intended to motivate us to action. So they can be pleasant or unpleasant. And obviously, you know, that drives behaviour either towards or away. And I think a really interesting, just a little aside, is that we we sometimes use the word feelings, but in the scientific literature or the psychological literature, feelings technically relates to a bodily sensation. Um, so if we talk about nausea, or I had I, I, my arms, my hands felt sweaty. In, in common language, we we call emotions feelings when we're talking about, I guess, a psychological reaction, sensation or experience, but. Technically, it's um, in the psychological issue. They do differentiate between what is a physical sensation or physical symptom versus a psychological symptom. That's, yeah, that's interesting that in a scientific way, they like separate those two. But as Catholics, I think we're very like, we are a body-soul composite and there's this really mysterious unity of body and soul that goes on. And so I think there's that, like our thought, our emotions come from a thought. And so there's that, movement from the the immaterial our mind and our soul which is then connected to our material brain and then that creates that the physical the feelings like the feelings and the emotions go together like there are physical sensations 
that you can notice that go along with emotions. So I think mm. when it's when it's all kind of yeah united in that way, it yeah it's it's sort of it respects that the way that God made us. Yeah, there's that sort of integration uh, approach, which is really important. So just thinking in terms of emotions, um, there's lots of different models. I'm thinking of Paul Ekman or Paro, who have an emotional framework that identifies six basic primary emotions. There's slight differences between them. But they'll all, whatever model you use, you know, they'll identify shades or variations in intensity. So, for example, if you're looking at joyful, you can be pleased, which is a mild version of joyful, or you can be ecstatic, which is a more intense version of it. Some of them identify dyads, so combination between the two. Like, for example, if we feel shocked, we might say that's a combination of surprise and fear. Other models have eight categories like Plutchik. But whatever the model is, point is there's lots of them. There's lots of emotions and even, uh, you know, there could be differences in the languages and things like that as well, that some languages have words for emotions that we don't have an equivalent in English, for example. So the, uh, uh, and one of the things that I did notice when I was reference, picking references up on this is that there are some very culturally specific ones. Like I came across this idea of going postal was in one of the lists of emotions. Like, what's going postal? Mm -hmm. And it turns out it, it means being extremely or uncontrollably angry to the point of violence, usually at one's workplace. And it emerged out of a, a paper, newspaper reports in the United States where they were reporting on, over the course of 20 years, two decades, a string of murders in the workplace out of frustration amongst post, American postal workers. Now, it, it was, it was something like 40 over two decades. It's probably not that many, given how many people probably work in the US Postal Service. But that became, you go going postal, that's what that meant. Mm -hmm. And it just um, made me think about, you know, our own Australian context and some of the things that we might say to describe emotions that could be fairly unique to the Australian context. So I just wanted to, for fun, ladies, if you had any thoughts or were uh, guilty, perhaps, of using some Australian sort of slang terms to describe emotional states. I love a good Australian idiom. I'm just yeah. thinking, don't carry on like a pork chop. Yeah, <laughs> or, right. Um, I would have thought that came from the English, actually, but maybe probably. it is, is, is Aussie, but yeah, you're right. It probably That's does come from, you know, we've probably inherited it from our English roots. What's another one? Don't chuck a wobbly. Yeah, my granddaughters or, were doing that yesterday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then um, don't get your knickers in a knot if you're getting stressed. That's a good yeah. one. Um, my parents and grandparents, I think I hear them use this quite often, ropeable, and I just love that, like, just such a visual of like you're so angry that someone probably needs to tie you up with a rope <laughs> and hold you back. Yeah, I've I've often used cactus. Like I'm so tired, I'm cactus. And it's like I don't know why a cactus is tired, but maybe because it, it's in the <laughs> desert or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that that's a, a common one that I've used. Cactus and gobsmacked. I often use gobsmacked, which which sort of I don't know. I mean, gob is a mouth. I mean, I'm not even sure. Yeah, I'm gobsmacked. I'm so shocked. I mean, I don't know how that works with the mouth, but. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess because you I can't close my gob. My yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you got to you, you're opening your mouth in shock, and that you put a gobstopper in it. <laughs> I don't know if that's if that's where it comes from, but that's what I'm thinking. So let's hold that thought. I want to unpack this a bit more after the break. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. Our topic today is thoughts, emotions and needs and we've been discussing emotions and needs and now we want to explore how those two things interrelate with each other. So emotions firstly interact with needs. When we have a need, 
whether we are conscious of it or not, we will experience a pleasant emotion if it's being met and an unpleasant emotion if it's unmet. And that tends to be a really good way to, I guess, get a good indication of what needs is, is to sort of take the pulse on what of our emotions are feeling like if they're pleasant or unpleasant. That's usually telling us needs are being met or unmet. And emotions, because they're much easier to identify, they're a really good way to use them as a kind of a window and to get clues into the underlying need because it's sometimes really hard to sort of identify the need. They're like the window onto our needs, but it's not always an obvious connection. So emotions in some ways are like symptoms. they're, They're kind of like the things that come up into the surface of our consciousness that are indicators of an underlying uh, reality. So we've always encouraged couples to make a habit of daily reflection on their strongest emotion. And it's not just about having something meaningful to then share with their spouse, but also to grow in that self-awareness, that that kind of discipline of that habit helps us to know ourselves a little bit better, recognise when our needs are being frustrated or, or met in our relationship or in our life. So for example, you know, sometimes I might be working on a blog, and I feel hungry. So I, I take a break to get a snack, but it's not actually a need for food. It's a need for something to distract me from my frustration because I'm having trouble writing. Uh, so it's like a, a superficial deep, uh, a superficial and a deeper need, or possibly even a fake need and a real need, if you like. And part of the discipline of regular reflection is that we start to get better at drawing the lines between, you know, a real authentic need and one that's perhaps uh, you know, a, a misdirect or a, uh, a, you know, the difference between emotion and our needs. It just helps us understand better what's going on inside. Monica, I'm, you've got some really good training on this. I wanted to say just with the difference between a fake need and a real need. So, so our emotions come from our thoughts. So when, whenever there's an emotion, like our emotions are exactly that they're symptoms or signals as to what is, going on in our interior life and it's really just our lord like knocking on the door of our heart being like hey there's like something to look at here there's maybe like something that's not true because that's another thing we want to be careful of like is this is this a real need or is this just a preference or even a very strong preference or maybe it's like so for example maybe your husband doesn't do something you ask him to do he forgets to do the dishes or something like that and then you have the thought he doesn't really care about me your real need isn't to just have the dishes done it's to process that thought and that feeling of being unloved and to talk it through with your husband and communicate how you feel and your need to be loved and it's and our lord just wants to hold that that idea up to the light and say well what's the truth here maybe it's just that that you're you have a very strong preference that he loves you right now by doing the dishes but is it a real need per se that the dishes get done maybe not so I think that's just a, a helpful distinction to make and then the other thing I wanted to say was taking a break to get a snack so we call this buffering in the coaching world and it's what we do to try and avoid our uncomfortable feelings. Um, mm. Our brains are, they're wired to, according to the uh, motivational triad. So this is to avoid pain and seek pleasure, to avoid risk and stay safe, and to do things in the most efficient way possible. And so this is a lot of the work that I do with my clients. It's to bring awareness to all of the ways that we are ignoring our real needs, which most of the time is probably just to process the painful thoughts and emotions that are going on and to actually discern is this a need or not and is there somewhere that I'm is there an unrealistic expectation that I have for someone else 
to provide that need to me or maybe I'm supposed to be looking to God and that's the irony of it is that's not really loving to expect them to give something that they can't give. So interesting, yeah. Monica, to just go back to this idea is that we're often not very aware of what our deepest authentic eternal needs are they can be I guess disguised behind ephemeral needs where we think I just I'm feeling really hungry we can convince ourselves that we're feeling really hungry even though we just had a lunch an hour ago and our body clearly doesn't need food Mm -hmm. but psychologically or emotionally we've convinced ourselves that that hunger is there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah these can become habits like it's a coping mechanism and it's like well the brain wants like we want to feel better we don't like to feel restless or uncomfortable or disappointed or whatever and so our brain's like okay what's the quickest way that I can get a dopamine hit whether it's social media some kind of distraction online shopping just daydreaming yeah getting some food procrastination is a big one for me Mm -hmm. yeah very true well what you were saying Monica about you know, if you ask your husband to do the dishes and then he doesn't and then you're equating that to he doesn't love me, you know, it spirals into something bigger as opposed to he just got, he forgot or got busy. I've got a couple stories that highlights emotions and needs. A couple we know, the wife regularly has like a diet, a daily diet Coke from McDonald's, um, which lasts her the whole day. So she doesn't drink coffee at all. So that's her caffeine fix and it gets her through like a demanding job. So she um, prefers, she prefers to get her Diet Coke from like a fountain. So from the McDonald's fountain, because you know how, you know how soda from a fountain is a little bit less bubbly. It's got a different taste, right? So that's her thing, her little habit. So they were on holiday and the husband was driving and on the way home from a lovely, you know, day out with the, with the kids. And he didn't want to stop for her daily diet Coke in in the afternoon. They were going to the shops afterwards to fill up for food. So he said to her, look, I don't want to stop at McDonald's. It's a little bit out of the way, but I'll get you a normal Diet Coke from the shops. So she was swallowing her annoyance and upset about this. And I guess there were several layers going on in terms of emotions, needs, and as we were discussing. So one was the caffeine and the diet drink, which was a habit. Also caffeine, as we all know, (laughs) we've all probably got a bit of a caffeine addiction. So also I think not being in control as she wasn't the one driving. So her usual schedule, she had to rely on the the husband, he was at the wheel and they're on holiday. So schedule and habits were out of whack. But there, I think there was also a deeper spiritual need there because, and it was feeling appreciated and loved because she gives up a lot, bends her schedule for the husband and the kids. So there was an underlying question of, do you love me enough to do this inconvenient thing for me? There was no real pressure, time pressure or a deadline because they were on holiday. It just wasn't convenient and the husband thought he had his own idea of what, what should be done, the best way to to get the Diet Coke. So Yeah, working through that as a couple, as you were suggesting, Fran, at the end of the day, if they had said to each other, what what was your strongest emotion of the day? And then, you know, the wife says, well, I was annoyed. You you didn't get me a Diet Coke from McDonald's. And then he would respond back, well, I got you another type of Coke, Mm -hmm. you know, from the shops. She was, and she says back, well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted what I normally have. It's different. It tastes different, blah, blah, blah. I often get what you ask for because I love you. And as a wife, that's my way of showing you love. So when you didn't follow through with what I asked, I didn't feel loved or appreciated. Rather than just swallow it, get on with the day, annoyed, that builds up that tension and that what you're saying is exactly right. If you can, this is what I'm, the emotion I'm feeling, let's go deeper. What did it? 
mean for my emotions, my needs and my deeper longings. It's so mm. fascinating. So much more than just the taste of the damn Coke, right? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's got layers of meaning. Yeah. Multi-layered. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, just sort of moving it on to the next idea, which kind of just keeps taking it a little bit deeper, just thinking now about thoughts. And our thoughts often get expressed as opinions and beliefs. And so, if you like, it's the meaning that we associate with an objective fact um, or something that we perceive. Um, interpretation can be influenced by all sorts of filters, our history, our associations, our expect expectations and so on. So, you know, for example, if I get up and I open the front door of the morning, there's a paper on the lawn, depending on my expectations or history, that could mean lots of different things. If I know we've taken out a subscription, the paper means, good, it's been delivered. Yeah, high five. If we haven't taken out a subscription, the paper on the lawn, I could interpret that in any number of ways. Oh my gosh, it's the neighbor's paper. I wonder which one it is. Oh, somebody's just dumping their rubbish on my lawn, you know, annoyance. There can be all sorts of, it's the same objective fact, but I can have a different interpretation and draw a different meaning from it, depending on all of those filters, and that will trigger obviously different emotional response. So it might be true or it might not be true or even just partially true. The point is, is that how we think about or interpret what we perceive that event in that event or trigger, once it passes through the filter, we get that interpretational thought and that gets the emotional reaction. And it's just kind of, I think, really important to recognise how important our thinking is on terms of our emotions. And, and Monica, I really want to throw this open to you because I know it's such a basic key idea of the metanoia Catholic mindset practice. So I want you to use your language from the metanoia Catholic to kind of build this idea out for our audience. I might just go through the, the model that, mm -hmm. that we use with, with our clients. So um, you have, yeah, just really quickly, the circumstances, facts, things that um, happen external to you, or maybe sometimes it could be internal, but has pretty much they have to be something that's like verifiable in a court of law. So objective reality. Then there's our subjective interpretation, as as you said, Fran. And and I've just I was intrigued by um, that example that you gave, Laura, because as as a mindset coach, I'm like thinking of all the questions that I would ask that wife, and like she decided her narrative was going to be, he doesn't love me, I feel unappreciated, and yeah, like I I don't feel loved. But like her emotions are her responsibility like that interpretation of what happened like objective objective fact is they didn't go she didn't get the drink her favorite drink and so yeah the there's the narratives that we tell ourselves about what's happening are everything because she could have had a different interpretation she could have still spoken about about it with with the husband later but she probably could have saved herself a lot of like angst through the rest of the day. So that was just very interesting to me as a, as a mindset coach. Anyway, so so we have our interpretation, which then creates our, our feelings and our emotions drive then our, our actions. So the way that we then show up to our spouse, to our family, the virtues or vices, the things that we avoid doing, the way that we that we are going about our life interiorly, whether we're overthinking, ruminating on the past, beating ourselves up, the negative self-talk, all of that. And all of that ultimately creates the results that we have in our life. And what's really interesting is that the words of our thoughts are made flesh or are incarnated in our life, in our results through that, like, because our thoughts, we feel our thoughts as emotions and then they fuel our actions and that creates all the results that we have in our life. So that's just super interesting. So 
And so maybe you're thinking that it's bad news that we get to, that we choose our thoughts because, well, then it's like, well, then all my like emotional pain is my fault in a way. And, but what I want to offer is that that is actually like such great news. It is so freeing to be able to, to go to your spouse and say, I would like you to do this. I have this request to make. I have this need that that needs to be met, but then, but to then to be okay with being disappointed, like letting him freely choose to honor that request or not. Like love isn't love unless it's free. And so we could go down the, I'm going to manipulate guilt trip, passive aggressive kind of thing to get what I want. But if you can just say, well, maybe I'll feel disappointed, but like that's, it's an emotion and I can handle it and I can take responsibility for that and take it to the Lord and process it like that is just so freeing agree the freedom is (laughs) is and it's also mature it's part of it's part of our growth Mm. and holiness isn't it that that we take that instead of just being a blown about like a fly in a mixed master to use an old cliche there is that sense of well we can make choices here and they're mature choices it helps us to yeah grow in virtue and just yeah also that understanding of like what's inside our control and what's outside our control so there's that serenity prayer which i love um lord grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference and that's exactly the work that that we do as mindset coaches it's learning to surrender and be at peace with the things that are outside our control learning to have the courage to take responsibility no matter how uncomfortable it is for what's going on interiorly and then to have the wisdom to to actually recognize the difference between the two yeah it's a beautiful prayer and of course it seems so influential particularly in people who are on 12-step programs recovering from some form of addiction it's it's such a um, insightful prayer for sort of human um, human well-being Um, look before we take a break I just wanted to just touch on one particular type of thinking that we do and that's the self-talk if you like which is a silent thought it's a thought process and it's a category of thoughts that they're on voice but they're profoundly influential on our interior well-being and behavior you know the person I talk to most is actually myself I'm having a conversation with myself for hours every day and sometimes if I'm honest I'm not very nice to myself and if my mother knew what I say to myself sometimes she would probably tell me to stop hanging around with myself because I'm a bad influence and so I'm, I'm conscious that I'm often kinder to others than I am to myself and that's kind of got you know, fairly significant consequences on my um, interior life so ladies what are some of the negative messages that have been part of your self-talk and how did you reset or how are you working towards Uh, resetting those I have for a long time had this recurring thought that I don't have a valuable contribution to make and that's held me back from even from contributing to like just a a very conversation with like a very small group of people so the fact that I am on a podcast right now (laughs) that's just evidence for you all that mindset coaching does amazing amazing things go girls (laughs) but what's really interesting is there are a couple of questions that I'll ask clients pretty often, which is what is the tone of that thought? And is that how God would speak to you? Because so many of our thoughts have this like critical, aggressive, harsh, judgmental kind of tone. And it's like, that's not what our Lord, how he would speak to us. Uh, On myself, I've been uh, working a lot on like having compassion with myself and just being okay with where I am and seeing myself as a person to be loved and not a problem to be solved because I get very easily into like, okay, 
achieve a goal, move on to the next thing, solve the next problem. And yeah, a lot of us, I think, are trying to, most of our negative self-talk is trying to beat ourselves up to better. We're trying to like, we think, oh, if I just tell myself I'm terrible, then I'll be motivated to to improve in this area that I know I need to improve in, but it doesn't work. And ironically, so, yeah. perfectionists and high achievers are more vulnerable to this than other groups, I think, that that we, we I mean, and there's a lot of people who are, it's probably a good proportion of the population fit into, you know, high achiever type perfectionist personalities, uh, but it is one of the real uh, danger points, I think. Mm. Let's take a break before we get practical with a take home for our listeners. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about thoughts, emotions and needs and how they interact and now it's time to get practical. Theory is great, but how do we take these ideas and put them into practice in our marriages, families, and at work? So our practical take home today is what I've called the advanced daily strongest emotion. So it's a bit of a, it's the basic daily strongest emotion from that we talked about in last session, but with a bit of a twist. So just to recap, the basic daily strongest emotion is just each day, take a few minutes to reflect on the question, what is my most significant emotion today? And then to take turns to share your answers with your spouse. When we want to take that to next level, if you like, um, and to advance it, we've got three tips for you based on our content today. Firstly, to go deeper, don't just think about the emotion, but also the thoughts and the needs that relate to it. So really kind of explore it in detail, both above and below, if you're thinking about the different levels of communication, um, to get a full kind of excavation, if you like, or an analysis of that emotion and where it's coming from and what it's leading to and how it's influenced by our thoughts. Secondly is to reflect in writing. Writing tips us into a different neurological process and it helps us to go deeper. And a really valuable thing is it also gets us, gives us a record that we can then look back on and see the development of our self-awareness. So even in the space of a couple of weeks, you can sometimes track, oh, this thing happened a couple of weeks ago but then I reacted this way, this time with this daily habit of reflection, I'm now reacting in a much more mature way. And thirdly is to share it with God, not just a spouse. And this is a profound and very effective way of praying. It's real prayer. And I mean, we can bring God into the process of reflection right up at the beginning. But even if you just think about how much it does for our relationship as a couple to share in that really personal way about things, the most significant thing that's happening to me in the day, just think about just take that conversation into a conversation with God. That's how we build intimacy with our spouse. It's also a way to build intimacy with the Lord. So ladies, you know, what are your thoughts and experience with this? Oh, I have to tell you, like taking emotions into my prayer has just been such a game changer. Um, it's just deepened my communication and intimacy with him so much. And that really, as I said earlier, I think is the real function and purpose of our emotions. Um, they're, yeah, those signals as to what we're thinking and an invitation from him to look at parts of our heart where we need his love and his truth. And and a really powerful question can be, especially if we're grappling with, some, with a difficult emotion, to say, Lord, where did you experience this emotion? Mm. Um, that can be quite beautiful. And my favourite tool for this is the Metanoia Catholic Journal. If you're interested to try that out, it's a free download on their website. Um, I use it almost every day and it takes you through these seven exercises. So there's no like 
big blank page that people can find a bit intimidating sometimes. There's all these prompts and they have all these like different things to help you use it, but it just really helps you to slow down your thinking because that model that I took you through earlier, so circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, results, like that happens like that, like in a Mm. split second. And so we often will use the language like, you made me feel angry, but we've forgotten that there's a thought actually that happened. And so journaling just really slows that process down and helps you become aware of it. And yeah, I, I never cease to be amazed when I am just going about my life and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm like, I've noticed this thought, whereas in the past it would have just reacted, but it slows down that space and you, that, and you thereby become more free because you're able to choose intentionally what you're going to think, feel and do. Um, and even if you're doing that after the event, after yeah. the fact, it's training us to, I guess, recognise patterns because, you know, we are mm-hmm. creatures of habit So and some of those patterns are triggered all the time, but it's mm-hmm. training us to recognise that and it's also, you know, inviting us into change in that space. So it's you, you, I was just listening to think of people will be thinking, yeah, but it happens in a split second. How do I slow mm. it down when I'm not even aware of moving through those those transitions? Um, you don't yeah. have to necessarily do it in the moment. Going no, no, back no, no, no. and analysing yeah, that you later. Journal, is... yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, it takes time, but like it's so, so worth it. And it's also like changed the way that I share my emotions with my husband. So I'll try and say, when you did this, keep it as factual as possible. I had the thought, like I'll say, this is how I interpreted it. And then that made me feel this way so it's not he made me feel that way but I'm also sharing this is the perception that I had of it and so that's just inviting him to then go oh well that's not true or um, oh okay yes I understand that that would be painful (laughs) if that's what you thought which yeah and also I find if I have something really difficult to communicate with him I'll really try and do do my work on this first so that I come prepared with, okay, I've already processed it. I'm I'm really ready to I'm I'm responsible and I'm also detached from the outcome. Like I'm I'm ready to love him unconditionally. So if he like gets upset, then I'm not gonna suddenly get upset as well. That's really good, Monica. And that's such a gift to your relationship to be able to I mean it's really taking ownership of our own emotions because we're putting we're owning the thoughts that happened between what happened. And it's not to say, I mean our spouse might some do something that is objectively dreadful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah he might say something cruel for example and so it's not unreasonable to have a thought around he doesn't love me he wants to punish me or whatever it is based on that objective kind of thing but it's also I think what this process helps us do is to recognize that well if he said something cruel cruel what might his his acting out of a emotional response? What might be his circumstances and his background? Because it's just not in our nature, I think, as human beings to be cruel. I mean, our instinct, we're created in the image and likeness of God. So our instinct is always towards love and kindness mm-hmm. and generosity and truthfulness and so on. So it's when we deviate from it, it's usually because there's a whole lot of other stuff yeah. happening in our lives. And it's, you know, it's not to say that we're not responsible for our actions. We are. But I think putting that big broader context into what we perceive to be a really genuinely hurtful thing or an accidentally mm-hmm. hurtful thing yep. just, and um, just helps. Well, just to, put, to paint like a different vision of like, like imagine if you could respond instead of 
automatically going, well, I'm hurt. What if it was like a place of curiosity and like, well, I wonder like, why is he, why is he doing that? Why is he feeling like that? What's he thinking? How can I, how can I like be extravagant in my love right now? How can I be really unconditional in my love? How can I love him even when he does whatever it might be? And of, of course we still have to we still have, have boundaries and, and all that kind of thing. But yeah, that we, we always, I guess the point is like you can you can choose what you think. It doesn't mean you have to choose Pollyanna happy all the time, but you look at the fruits and say, well, are the fruits of this thought helpful? Is it leading me to mm. God? Is it leading me to virtue? Mm. That's always the key question. Really good. Laura, did you have anything you wanted to add into this? I think you guys have covered it. My only notes were, you know, journaling is so profound and important and saying, you know, God, my most significant emotion of the day was this. Thank you for my life. Thank you for this challenge that's I've been faced. Show me how you're making me holy through this trial. Or thank you so much for this period of joy in my life, depending on what is, season yeah. you are in life. Just writing it down and just, you know, reflecting is is beautiful and way to go deeper with, with the Lord. Right. We're coming to the end of our time. We've had so much content this time, a little bit more than we anticipated. So we're going to jump straight now to sharing our blessings with you so that we can wrap up in the hour. Monica, let's start with you first, your blessing. Tell listeners about your coaching because we are sure it is a great blessing to your clients. Oh, thank you. Um, well, they seem to think so, um, which is very nice. They So I work with my clients for three months and so far they've all actually wanted to keep on going. Um, and we work on things like their self-talk, their relationship with failure, understanding and processing their emotions, on seeing our emotions as signals to what thoughts are going on under the surface, why they're getting their current results, decision-making, how to take responsibility, all of that stuff. And I see them every week for 12 weeks. And when you start to learn to manage your mind, it cleans up so much of the unnecessary drama that we often create for ourselves and the buffering behaviours, wasting time on social media and eating things we don't need to and all of that stuff. And so it actually like pretty much gives you two hours of your day back, which is amazing. So if you've been trying to work on a goal or a habit of some kind of change in your life for a while and it hasn't been working or maybe you feel like you've got too many things to work on and you don't even know where to start and so you've been putting off starting, reach out to me and I'm more than happy to set aside uh, an hour to talk to you and figure out why it's not working, why it feels so hard and whether I'd be able to help. Even if you don't decide to pursue coaching, you'll at least have a new understanding of what you need to to work on in your interior life rather than just focusing on the actions, which is what we pretty much all try and do. And if you do the same actions, sorry, if you do different actions with the same thoughts, you'll still end up getting the same results. It's just not going to work out for you. And I also have a couple of free resources, which we'll have the link for, but I have a workshop on how to stop overthinking and up-level your decision-making, which is a little worksheet that I use all the time to help me get out of indecision and procrastination and just to discern choices wisely. So, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and we all love some freebies. We'll make sure those are easily found in the show notes. Thanks for that, Monica. And look, it's been really great having your wisdom with us on this topic particularly. You've really brought a lot of depth and nuance to it. And yeah, I had the privilege of, we, we shared a workshop hosting on the Theology of the Body summit last year with Matt Ingold, one of the founders mm. of Mindset Catholic, and that was really, really great. They're a wonderful couple, can highly recommend the Metanoia mm -hmm. Catholic as a, as a, a, a resource. For, yeah, just for context, because I don't know if we explained this, but I they do training for Catholic coaches. So 
that's yes. who I've done training with. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So they're not actually, they weren't going to be my blessing, but we will put their links, a link to Metanoia Catholic as well in the show notes. My blessing was actually a, a, just an audio book that I listened to recently called Oil and Marble by I think a Stephanie Story. And it's a story of Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci. It's sort of in five years, they had sort of crossover in Florence. And, and I went searching for it because we've just recently, well, been to, to Italy and we spent about five days in Florence. And I I knew I'd be going to see some of the artwork. It just gave me such a beautiful insight. I mean, there's a lot of creative license in it, but the book just gave me some beautiful insight into the spirituality of the theology, particularly of Michelangelo and his work of David. So it just, when I finally went to see it, it was just such a beautiful thing to kind of know that, you know, Michelangelo had spent two years basically sleeping and living at the foot of this block of stone Mm. and praying and listening. He had this thing about the figures in his stone. He just needed to release them from the stone, that he didn't design them or or create them, that they were already pre-existent in the stone and he just had to listen. And really what he was doing, he was listening for the word of the Lord to guide him in and it's just anyway it's I I could talk on and on about Michelangelo's David but I won't uh, I won't do that but highly recommend the book Oil and Marble we'll put a link in the show notes for people thanks Fran well my blessing for this podcast is War and Peace that I mentioned previously we'd been watching it's the BB series version of it just the morals ethics the themes of forgiveness redemption desires and needs throughout the Tolstoy's novel and then obviously they made it into a television series it's just brought so many we've had some great conversations Joe my husband and I about the different characters and oh that that led him to do that and that led her to do this and oh if only this hadn't have happened and then it's all of course in the era of Russia in the 1800s and Napoleon invading Russia so just with the Queen's death recently as well I've been thinking in eras and periods of world history so to just go back and watch war and peace and focus on an era it was interesting mm. i read war and peace the the, the book you know in paper oh, a good um years ago when i was a teenager i think but to be honest i can't remember any of it so it might be time to go back to it or maybe i'll watch the series it sounds yeah. great yeah i've got so a new one for my list yeah so ladies and listeners that brings us to the end of our time together you can find more information, including links to our blessings and show notes and more at smartloving.org slash conversations. That's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. We're Francine Parola and Laura Kane from Smart Loving with special thanks to our guests, Monica Elias. It's been great having you with us. Thank you so much, Monica. And we pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Undoer of Knots. Pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye.